Uh, this is the Indie Game Development Podcast, and uh, how about you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Tom Robertson with Aggressive Game Designs. Um, I'm an indie developer for many years. I guess I published my first shareware title in, I believe, 1998. Okay. And um, well, how did you how did you get into indie game development? What inspired you to do um, ind- independent games? Well, it's 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 a clear answer, but not a short answer. Um, I okay. started programming when I was twelve, um, and the only reason I've ever wanted to program was to make games. I've never really enjoyed any other form of programming. Never wanted to work at a bank. Never wanted to write a database application. Really? Um, I mean, the database application is really popular. I don't know. <laughs> so um, I got her early. Um, you know, I got early because, you know, I, I'm an oddball, a very okay. senior member of the Generation X with a father who was a programmer way back when all you could program on was mainframes. Okay. So, um, you know, from there, I basically kept making games for myself. I broke into the industry in 92 when I worked uh, on the Harpoon uh, military simulator. And then I, you know, it spent another 10, 15, well, actually 12 years in the industry um, before basically saying, I don't want to be part of the industry, I want to do my own thing. So that's, okay. how, that's where I am today. Okay. Um, when you said you didn't want to become a part of the industry and you wanted to do your own thing, I mean... I mean, didn't there seem like there were a lot of barriers to actually go off and do it on your own? Or did the industry experience actually uh, make you realize that it was actually easy to do it all by yourself? Well, no, there were a lot of barriers, and no one gave me any real clue about whether it would be easy or hard to publish games by myself. You know, certainly my industry experience, if I'd if I'd accepted it at face value, would have taught me that I can never make games by myself for myself. And it's it's all about, you know, first getting the million-dollar contract and then, you know, producing a product for a big faceless corporation. Um, okay. So, but, you know, again, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken in this anymore. And I have this kind of cussedness attitude of, well, I'll just try it and see if it works myself which admittedly is one of the reasons I went ahead and published my very first shareware game anyway. So, okay. you know. Well, so so you left industry and you started to do your own games. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have a plan of exactly what you want to do and how long it would take to finish your first game? Not at all. Um, I have to be absolutely upfront with your listeners and, and, and help them understand that uh, I'm not, I'm much more of a creative person, not very much of a business person. I have not made a lot of money, and I'm mooching off my wonderful lawyer wife. Okay. Um, so how long did it take you to make your first game? Um, a few months, a little more. Um, I knew the kind of game I wanted to make to be creative at. Uh, you know, I, I saw top-scrolling shooters and said, yeah, I think they're rather hidebound. I think there's a lot of opportunity for innovation. Um, and uh, and I was learning DirectX, so I coded an engine that was specifically for top-scrolling shooters. And uh, by the time I was finished with all that, it would seem seemed like a crime not to go ahead and 
finish a top scrolling shooter and actually try to market it. So I did. Oh, okay. Um, what did you develop in? Uh, what, what were your development tools? Um, Microsoft Visual C4 at the time on a PC. Okay. So uh, so you released your first game. Mm -hmm. uh, did you uh, did you pretty much do it on the internet, or I mean, did you go through bulletin boards, or, or what was the process? Well, this was this was late enough that I could do it on the internet. I'm not I'm not that senior in terms of indie guys. Well, yeah, I, I just wasn't sure if I mean because still around that time there wasn't you know a broad understanding that you know there's a huge market on the internet. Right, and and I again I I. I never really got any positive feedback or positive um, assurances that my games would actually sell. You know, I got a lot of negative um, attention, a lot of, I can't believe you're going to do that, those things never sell, the shareware market doesn't exist, you know, from, from of course, people who were not part of the shareware market. So yeah. they really didn't know what they were talking about, but they still had opinions. So it was, in a sense, you know, my cussedness that made me say, look, I'll just burn some CDs, I will create a little website, I will have a P.O. box for a check or money order, and there you go. That's all, you know, let's let's try it. Um, okay. And lo and behold, um, you know, two weeks later I get my first order, which oh, is awesome. always tremendously exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you say first order, were they able to do it online, or did they have to send you something by mail? No, at the time they had to send me something by mail. Oh, it wow. it didn't take very long before I could yeah. before I realized that there were services that would help me accept credit cards. Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. So so now you get your first order, and mm -hmm. um, so what are you thinking? Um, well, you know, at the one at, on the one hand, I'm like, wow, I actually did it, and that's yeah. so exciting. Yeah, that on, is awesome. On the other hand, you know, okay, ten million more of those, and I'll be set. <laughs> so uh, I certainly never saw the revenue that I was looking for but that was not the hard part for me because again I've been making games my whole life game yeah. making is what I do it's just it's just how I express myself creatively so I knew even if I couldn't sell them I'd still be making games so okay. the idea that I had greased the path that I had trailblazed that I built the website and that I found out exactly how you go about selling a game made it much more easy that the next game that I made that I made because I was interested in making it would also okay. be you know something that I could take to market okay and and how long did it take for you to make the second game I mean was it was it pretty much a derivative work of the first game or was it part of some kind of sequel to the first game or well the the, the second game was definitely a, a sequel um, definitely a uh, you know a kind of an experiment with me hey, you know, that was interesting, that was fun, but I've learned so much, let's try again. Okay. Um, not that it's sold any better, because, you know, you... Well, partially, of course, top-scrolling shooters are not the most active niche product. Um, okay. Not so much now. You know, the, the whole casual game market, the whole downloadable game market, has really exploded in yeah. the last half decade. And this was well before that. But having said that, I also didn't know nearly as much as I know now about you know, how to market effectively on the Internet. And I also didn't know nearly as much as I know now about top-scrolling shooters. And I was, oh, okay. you know, in, in, in subsequent years, I became appalled at how, how, much of, how high an opinion I had of my own game design skills when I 
when I realized later, I didn't know, I didn't know enough to have that high opinion of myself. Well, yeah, um, that's that's actually a good point. I mean, how many games have you released since that first game? I so I believe eight or nine. Okay, eight or nine, and um, and they're pretty much all in the same genre, right? No, no, I'm oh. you know as I've I've always wanted to make games and. So I've always made games, and, and I've always kind of focused on small games, never really thinking about one golden, perfect game idea and, and hanging on to it for a long time. So I love to sh jump around and do different genres and try different things. Oh, okay. Now, when you said you made the game, did you actually hire contract artists or other type of contractors to do other parts of your game, or was it pretty much all still on your own? It was definitely on my own. Okay. Um, was there, I mean, as your game development skills progressed, I mean, was there any thought of actually finding contractors or getting contractors to fill in some of the niches that you weren't as strong in? Plenty. Um, there's the experience I had with being able to pay for a contractor um, was pretty darn good. Not the okay. best. I mean, unfortunately, when you say, you know, I want this art, and I want it at this price, um, yeah. to a certain extent, you're stuck with what you get. And you're stuck with the artist you've made the contract about. Um, and and it's sometimes even easier to work with an artist who's not an art genius, because the, the, the stronger an artist is and the more experience they have in the field, the more ownership they want over the art direction of the product. And that, that's great in one sense, because every product needs really bold strong art direction the unity of the art and the way it looks and the presentation is very important to the success of a game but at the same time um, artists usually need direction in what the game does and how it's supposed to function and if an artist isn't willing to listen then you can have lots of problems with you know art that isn't compatible or art that doesn't really jibe or you know he made these three monsters and there was never any call for them and he did, I'm not going to put him in just because he made the art for him and so okay. on um well where did you find these artists i mean was this on game dev or well actually uh andre the artist that i contracted for blade mistress was uh i found him by making a job posting on gamasutra.com And, and have you ever looked into contractors for uh, programming, or was that never considered? Well, considering my expertise with programming, I, I never felt I needed to. Okay. Um, and that segues into the, um, into the whole concept of game design. You know, mm -hmm. you said that when you first started, you didn't know much in terms of, or you now, now you realize that you didn't know much in terms of game design. Um, can you talk about, I guess, your game design epiphanies through your whole you know, independent game developer experience. I mean, did you start going to the game developers conference later mm -hmm. on? I mean, did you start looking into literature? I mean, what was what's the whole process that has brought you to this point? Well, in one word, the the whole process is ongoing. I mean, okay. I, I I can definitely tell you about dozens of epiphanies I had. Um, I can also boil them down and say very simply that the more people I meet, the more peers I can talk to, and the more books I can read, the better. Um, okay. You know, I've Whenever I go to conferences, like the uh, last three years, I've gone to the Austin Computer Game Conference every, I think, October. Um, and that always energizes me 
it just fills me so full of ideas and so full of energy to work on those ideas because I get to meet with peers, I get to talk with them, I get to see what they're doing. And, and just sitting there, at, even in the, uh, um, in the presentations, l passively listening to other game developers say, I had a problem with this, or I thought about that, or well, you know, we didn't do so well with that, just fills me with, with creative energy. Working with other people, and even just listening to other people, or even reading their books, is, is so worthwhile. Yeah, and, and that's why I was asking about finding the other programmer, because I've seen, you know, in my experience, when you talk about prototyping new ideas, you know, trying to be innovative, mm -hmm. um, I found it very useful to just be working with someone else who's interested in that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe their programming expertise is different than yours, and they may not even program the actual prototype, but just bouncing ideas off of them. Mm -hmm. And then going off and doing your own prototype seems to work pretty well for me. And so I was wondering if you had any kind of process that you pursue when you're trying to prototype new ideas or go about developing a new game design? Well, let me first address the issue of the peer programmers. Um, I never I never meant to suggest that I don't talk to peer programmers. I, I like to talk to them and I get the same kind of energy. Um, but, you know, I've never actually uh, closely collaborated or worked you know, in a coding collaborative environment for my indie games with another programmer. You know, I, I often talk with fellow peers who I've left behind in the industry. Um, in fact, I talked to one, you know, on the phone he called from Arizona yesterday. Um, and we talk code, and we talk, you know, engineering, and we talk, you know, AI routines. Um, and, uh, you know, there's another programmer that uh, I went to lunch with a month ago. And, and he's been programming for so long in the industry. And he just blows me away every time I see his code. And he's doing these new object component models and, you know, physics engines. And, and I'm just, oh, I feel like a caveman scratching cobalt in the dirt with a stick. Okay. But, you know, that's energizing too. Um, I just, you know, I've never actually sat down with another programmer and said, let's program a game together, an indie game together. Of course, I've done it many times working for the man, but yeah. but not, you know, doing my own creative games. Okay. Um, now, there was a post recently by, I think, uh, Jeff Vogel, mm -hmm. and um, he was talking about uh, how indie gamers aren't supposed to be innovative. And uh, do you have any opinions on that? Any well, what he what he said was that it's he 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 noticed that everyone seemed to be talking about indie gamers or indie game developers as the last bastion of truly innovative game design, and he pointed out that you know the reality of a thousand different versions of Breakout and a thousand different versions of Asteroids do not make for innovation, um, and to to that small extent. I, I suppose that I don't see what's wrong with what he said, but he goes on to say in his post that uh, true innovation, truly revolutionary breakthroughs, new genres of games are going to come from the big boys uh, who have millions of dollars to spend in R&D. Yeah, I definitely disagreed with that. Well, okay. you know, from my experience, I, I have to profoundly disagree with Jeff. I mean, on two different levels. On one, uh, I, you know, I know Jeff at least you know I know of Jeff and I've 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 read up on him and I've seen what he did with the spiderweb software and he's never actually spent much time in the industry like I have he never actually worked for the man and um, the other thing is is that 
you know, his own products, as he will happily admit, are not the most innovative things themselves. His first product was basically a, a retread of Ultima 4. Um, you know, he's, he does some kind of interesting things, folding a kind of a Pokemon element into his standard RPG. And he slowly and steadily progressed his technology and his presentation. Um, but, you know, he's not a golden boy of innovation either. Um, you know, I... I look at my industry, I talk with my friends who are still working for the man, and innovation has become a profoundly dirty word for big corporations like EA and Ubisoft. Okay. Um, cool. And uh, I guess, do you have any desire to actually make innovative games? Or, or what's like what, what are your current goals in terms of game development and game cool. design? Oh well, I don't. I don't actually have any more desire to be innovative. I want to be revolutionary. <laughs> I, 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 what's, I, what's the difference in your mind? I, I know exactly what the difference is because I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I've Great. been refactoring some technology at the beginning of the year and looking, you know, kind of examining where I want to be. And I have been kind of disappointed by the fact that you know I can do some innovation, and it's hard to make people see beyond the say space shooter to look at the innovative level unlocking system that I've added or the innovative way that I've algorithmically generated my spaceships. You know, okay. these, are, these are not revolutions. Um, what I count as a revolution is a product where people say three things in a row. First they say, I've never seen anything like that. And then they say, I can't believe it's a game. And then third, they say, I can't believe how much fun it is. Okay. And, um, and, and with that definition, what would you say is the last revolutionary product in games then? Or the, the most recent one? The last revolutionary product that even comes close has got to be Katamari Damacy. Okay. Um, the, the one that, that most closely fits those, those three things. Before that, I would have to say something like The Sims. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's um, what I was thinking. These, these are things that, that really break it wide open and do something that, again, people go, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. So, so that's kind of where my sights are set, you know, as of today. And so how are you going about doing that? Um, I mean, have you started or have you read some of the uh, suggestions from some of the top industry game designers on exactly what they suggest in terms of developing an innovative, I mean, not necessarily a revolutionary game, but an innovative game? I certainly have. Um, I think that they have the same blinders um, towards technology and money that uh, that I saw throughout the industry. You know, when they talk about doing something revolutionary, they talk about taking AI to the next level, or taking graphics to the next level, or taking physics to the next level, or taking you know a general simulation. And many of them say, boy, I want to model the entire city of New York down to the last human being and let you run around in this virtual New York City. Okay. Um, you know, that, that costs a lot of money, a lot of time. And it's really not anything more than an extension of where we're going already. Okay. So I'd, um, I'd much rather go completely sideways and ask questions like, what if a game had absolutely no avatar? Or what if a game had absolutely no graphics and was only sound for blind people? Yeah. You know, that kind of way out there thinking. Yeah, and, and I think, honestly, audio gameplay has, has been underdone. 
you know, I think there's a lot of potential for audio gameplay, and unfortunately, people haven't been experimenting with it. No. But, um, but yeah, uh, what, I mean, have you prototyped any ideas in terms of the revolutionary questions and ideas that you want to pursue? I've, you know, I'm, I'm always prototyping. You know, for every game that I've shipped, I have over 10 prototypes that sit around on my hard drive half-finished. Okay. Um, but right now, I'm trying to prototype a massively multiplayer space game where you play music collaboratively in real time with other people. Oh, cool. Just and... wacky kooky. Yeah. How's that going? Well, you know, still-based technology. I'm, I actually have um, uh, client-server code from previous projects that I've worked on. Um, and again, since the beginning of the year, I've been refactoring my base technology, looking back at every bit of my code and going, you know, is that working right? Is that old code that's been lying around on my hard drive and I've used it without thinking for the last seven years? And if so, you know, is there a better way to do it now? Um, so I've, I've been really caught up in the engineering side of things, which is not a comfortable place for me because I always want to be creating. Yeah. But I'm old enough to know that a little bit of time spent building technology can have big dividends when you really feel creative and want to work hard. Okay. And since you're focusing on this, uh, on this prototype, are you pursuing any other types of prototypes? I mean... Speaking of game development process, you mentioned that you know for every game that you release, you have ten half-finished prototypes. Mm -hmm. So, um, so walk me through your game development process. Okay, well, I can give you, you I can give you a wonderful um, example, and it has everything to do with the last test prototype that's actually a publicly available on my website. Um, I saw. And your website is. Well, this particular website would be 18giants.com. Okay. The, the number 18, giants, that's plural, with an S on the end, okay. dot .com. And there's, a, there's an icon, I mean, or a, um, a button for test in the upper right corner. And that test page has the last three unfinished prototypes that I, you know, put on the website just so that my friends and um, interested parties could download, look at it, and give me feedback. I gotta say, as an independent developer, more than art, more than programming, more than even pure design, one of the one of the most expensive and hard to find assets is testing. People to actually look at your application and tell you whether it's good or not is like gold. It's like pulling teeth. It's really hard to actually get a group of people who you can rely on to tell you whether your latest game idea is any good or not. You know. Okay. It's it's a very typical thing. Well, how do you then, I mean, do you have like a testing base? How do you go about finding these testers, maintaining them? Well, for the longest time, you know, it was all family and friends. Um, I've uh, I found indie, the Indie Gamer forums, which has become an invaluable resource for that precise thing. And since I've gotten enough traction and enough eyeballs on my older website, aggressivegames.com, uh, I've placed... A, a link on that website which invited people to send in me their email and join a mailing list which I've actually used from time to time I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's given me stellar results most of the people who actually you know, email and say yes please I'd like to become part of your design group don't actually respond 
when I send them back something like, hey, here's this, go download and tell me how it is, um, it's still a very low signal-to-noise ratio. But it's it's something that you know has given me a few helpful voices, and even one helpful voice saying, hey, I downloaded your game, and I think this part is good, and I think the mouse doesn't work, is very useful. Yeah, um, I think one thing that I've noticed on the Indie Gamer site is I mean, there is user, there is feedback testing, but it's not necessarily people getting feedback testing early on or through the development process. They're usually about ready to release, right? And um, you know, a lot of the changes that may that are suggested just cannot be done because it's just too late in the design and development process. So yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from, but I got to tell you, um, I've my experience tells me that the customer is always right in these cases, and if you if you get to a point where you're one or two days away from ship and you think your game is the most polished it can be and then somebody on a forum says you know I think your game sucks in these fundamental ways then it is so much better for you to just go ahead and put in the extra month or two of work to address those concerns even if you think they're you know at face value kind of frivolous um, because again any any feedback sh should be treated as gold yeah um, okay, yeah, cool. And any other part of your development process that uh, that you find intriguing or very important? Well, um, I, I hadn't actually quite finished with my latest project um, that, that I had been working on for the last few weeks. I had, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it illustrates that uh, my ideas for games sort of come in from all directions and coalesce like, you know, like drops of water into a bigger puddle. Um, I... Uh, I saw another game on Indie Gamer forums, a top-scrolling, you know, um, game. You know, hey, I can do those standing on my head. But this guy had a very interesting art style, a very retro, um, glow look to the art style. And I looked at it, and I saw that it. I, and I said to myself, you know, I could programmatically create that. I could procedurally create those little creatures, those little enemy spaceships with their glows and their coloration. Let me give it a try. So I wrote a little test app and uh, it totally produced good-looking, chunky, retro-looking enemies that actually didn't look anything like the guys. So here I was sitting on this application that could generate hundreds, maybe thousands of these little enemy spaceships that looked pretty good all by themselves. Um, I also um, looked at another forum thread which talked about a guy named Sean Noel, a poor little 18-year-old kid who made some really nice games with Game Maker and then succumbed to depression or whatever and killed himself. Yeah, that was very sad. Uh, it made me look at um, his corpus of games, made me play a few of them. And, and the one thing that really jumped out at me was that Sean Noel's games were quite frenetic. They were crazy. Everything was exploding all over the place, and there were words everywhere and enemies everywhere. It was a very energetic game. And I then went back and I looked at some of my previous games and said, wow, my games are kind of sedate compared to the stuff that he's been doing. So I take you know, these little spaceships that I've been able to generate by the thousands, yeah. and, and I take this new concept of building something frenetic but still not too hard. And I say, let's try and put them together. You know, and the result is a prototype, again, that you can find on 18giants.com. And I think it's, you know, it's fun, it's interesting, it's, it's kooky, and, uh, but it's, it's the direct result of, of multiple ideas 
you know, getting into my head and then fusing and saying, all right, I can build that fusion. I can prototype that. Let's see how that goes. You know, I, not to say that that game will ever see the light of day as, a, as a, an actual product that I'll sell, um, but, you know, it, it, was, it was fun to work on. You know, my muse demanded I work on it, and, uh, um, and, and it's how I work. These, these, all these crazy inputs and all these thoughts about, hey, I could do that, and hey, I could do this, and maybe this technology can do the other thing. You know, put them all together, see what you get. So what's, uh, do you have anything else to say to the game development community? Anything else on your mind? Anything that, uh, that you wish you knew when you first started out in indie game development? Well, I can tell you that, um, I can tell you that anybody who, who wants to work hard can make money in shareware, in, in indie games. Yeah. Um, and part of that working hard is, of course, uh, making sure that you pay attention to the biz side, not just building the game. You know, I don't pay attention to the biz side. I'm not a very good businessman. Uh, I, I know a lot more than when I started, but I still, you know, it's like pulling teeth, getting me to do something that's not actually making a game. Uh, I'd much rather make a game than uh, rebuild my website or, you know, or rebuild my pad file or any of the other little things that have to be done when you take the business seriously. So, you know, if you can take the business seriously, you know, consider that a positive. Consider that a, a real win for, for making money, you know, as an indie developer. Okay, cool. And uh, in terms of development, is there anything that you uh, wish you knew when you first started? Hmm. Um, well, I, I, I definitely a big blanket piece of advice I can tell beginning developers out there is don't shoot for the moon initially um, go with what you know go with something small get something working when you you know uh, climb the hill behind your house first don't try to climb the Everest right out of the gate and this is this is hard advice to take because I know I was 18 19 and me and my friends we knew we could climb Everest and no one was going to tell us any different and then when we actually got two feet up Everest, well, then somebody had to go home to dinner and somebody else had to, you know, it, it, it quickly breaks down. Find what you can do and do it and, and don't, don't be down on yourself because it's just the hill in back of your house, metaphorically speaking. Because um, just, just getting something done uh, gives you such a feeling of, of accomplishment and completion, even if it's not very impressive. Um, that's the path to building a great game, is not to go out and shoot for the moon from day one. Okay. And in terms of uh, allocation of time for different activities for your game development process, mm -hmm. um, in terms of activities for, um, uh, like, how, what percent of your time do you spend reading or prototyping and development and stuff like that? Well, that's, that's really hard to tell. I mean, you know, when I... When I'm prototyping, my head is down, and you know if 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 I'm really in fugue, which is where I need to be to really pump out the code and make something uh, in a very short period of time, you know because I'm really excited about it, you know I can do 12, 14 hour days at the computer, uh, but that's punctuated by you know weeks of you know not really doing much of anything at my computer. 
uh, most people, especially people who really are serious about making money, don't have that luxury. Um, and so time management is important, and I'm a poor person to ask about that. There are a lot of people, in fact, Steve uh, Pavlina on his, uh, on his Dexterity website has, has said a lot of good things, and there's a lot of good data already out there from other people about time management and how to how to uh, discipline yourself and you know how to spend two hours a day programming two hours a day doing biz and two hours a day doing research and so on okay cool well thank you so much I appreciate you doing the first podcast no problem development show it's a lot of fun and, yeah thanks thanks again and uh, look forward to hearing it and uh, sharing it with the rest of the community take Great. care take care bye bye, bye.